Hello, my babies, and welcome once again to Poker in the Ears. I'm Uncle Daddy Joe Stapleton. He's my work wife, James Hardigan. Congratulations slash commiserations on your result at the World Series of Poker, Joe. And congratulations slash commiserations on your result at the World <laughs> Series of Poker, James. This is our summer special. This is a pre-record. We don't know what happened between the last show and this one because we're only recording them two days apart. We're speaking to you from the past into the future. Phil Helmuth may have won his 20th bracelet. Ali may have been forgiven. I may have quit comedy. We don't know. We might be millionaires from poker we have no idea what's going on so what we're I'm gonna doing to guess that if it's that last option this show yeah. may never appear because there'll be no uh -huh. one around to release it i see <laughs> around to release it or maybe even we'll do a, a second summer special where we just swim in a big pile of money yes uh, so what we're doing today is we're doing a poker movie monday recorded on a friday released on a wednesday with two films that are absolutely timeless Michael Flatley's Blackbird, and the late, great Curtis Hansen's Lucky You. I was uh, wondering what word was going to follow completely, because there's another word you could use to describe both movies, but timeless is fine. Moving on. They are timeless movies, and uh, we are going to get deep into at least one of them. The, only, the reason I say one is because we covered Lucky You before, and this was what's funny, is um, James and I watched this movie recently and ended up having literally word for word the same review of it that we've had before. So it's so weird. So we rewatched this while I was in LA on holiday. Yeah. We watched it at Joe's house. Together. And in the same room. I the, a couple of days later I went back and listened to episode one hundred and three of the podcast from October of twenty seventeen. And it was so weird, Joe. It's like we literally said exactly the same things. So the irony is I have nothing to add. I have nothing extra to say. So I think as a kind of precursor to this show, for people who don't remember that podcast from near enough six years ago or people who never heard it, go yeah. back and listen to episode 103. Listen to our actual review of Lucky You before listening to this because we're coming at it from a different angle, right? That's right. We're attacking it or not attacking it in this case from a different angle. Uh, now that I've got some experience under my belt as a poker consultant on a movie, I thought it would be cool to talk to the poker consultant for Lucky You, uh, compare notes, experiences, see if we can't get to the bottom of went right, might I say, uh, because I do think plenty of the poker in this movie went right. So we couldn't actually get the poker consultant from this movie because he's no longer with us. Doyle Brunson is listed as the poker consultant on this film. I don't think we got him anyway. Uh, however, we did get the poker tournament advisor. Is that how he's listed in the credits? I believe so, yes. He's kind of like secondary under Doyle, but clearly was involved in probably yes. how they staged the World Series of Poker in that film. At the very least. So we're going to get to the bottom of all of that poker tournament advisor and star of yes. the film, he is Matt Savage, will be with us today. And he's actually a fan of the show, so I'm looking forward to talking to him. And uh, Matt's been been following us from the beginning uh, and uh, is an all-around good guy and is, nom oh, is nominated for the Poker Hall of Fame, I believe, also this year, is one of the nominees. So um, speaking of fans, super fan Andre Nazar is coming back on the podcast. Yeah, so a couple of months ago, he was defeated by you 
in a quiz about the movie The Founder. So he's oh, one yeah, of the McDonald's. super fans. Yeah, you gotta fuck off, man. Don't 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 even mess around with me and McDonald's. I, <laughs> somehow we believe in second chance on this show all of a sudden. Do, so do he we? is getting a shot at redemption. Blackbird Okay. will be the subject of this week's Superfan <laughs> Quiz. But before we discuss that film, we are going to revisit the 2007 snooze fest that is Lucky You. And yes, as advertised, we're going to talk to one of the people who advise on the poker scenes in the film and ask about how some of the hands came about. You mentioned, Joe, that he is a multiple-time nominee for the Poker Hall of Fame. He's the executive tour director of the WPT. He is one of the founders of the Tournament Directors Association Matt Savage, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here. It's been a while. Is it weird hearing us speak at normal speed? Because uh-huh. you revealed that when you consume this podcast, you have us, is it 1.5x or 2x? 2x, 2x, yeah. I finally, uh, I finally understood how to, how to listen to your uh, accent in two, 2x speed, so it's all good. <laughs> he adapted. So do you listen to all the podcasts in the poker world? Is that kind of your thing to make sure you stay on top of everything? Uh, yeah, I pretty much listen to all of them. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Did you listen to episode 103 from 2017 where we actually reviewed Lucky You? I don't think I did. Okay, well, don't worry about that. Because um, today we <laughs> want to focus on your involvement in the movie rather than our thoughts on the movie. Okay. I mean, clearly, a lot of people in the poker world, a lot of players, a lot of industry people were involved in this movie. You look at the credits, you look at the people who made cameo appearances. It, it's clear that, that, that Curtis Hansen and Eric Roth really wanted the involvement of the poker world in this film. Absolutely. Especially Jason Lester and... Uh... Barry Greenstein and those guys. They uh, they were they had a lot to do with it for sure. So how did you get the gig? Yeah, exactly. How did I get the gig? Yeah, not just being in the movie because obviously Doyle is listed as the main poker consultant. You're listed as the tournament poker consultant. Right. So what did they need you to do, and what did you actually do? Well, it was focused around the 2003 World Series of Poker, and because of that, uh, I think that they called me in because. Uh, I re- reached out to them and said, basically, I was there so I could help them with a lot of the details that maybe they needed to do for that movie. And uh, they gave me the call. And then later on, they asked me, uh, I asked to be in the movie uh, and they said no. And then they had an audition for tournament director and uh, I got the job. Oh, that's so funny. So they didn't just give you the part. They made you audition basically to play yourself. Exactly. Do you know who you were up against? Did you ever... Like maybe Matt was up against some real actor, like a Michael Shannon, who was in the movie, obviously, in like one of his first roles. Like you might have just like squashed someone else's dream. Yeah, I did. I did uh, go up against a lot of actors, probably bit actors, not uh, main stars. They were already in the movie. So and the the obvious question there is if you couldn't play yourself, Matt, who would which Hollywood actor would 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 bring Matt Savage to screen in the best way? He's thought I'd about it. Say, I'd have to say Jim Carrey, probably. Jim you know, it's not a terrible shout. I could see that for sure. The story of Matt I mean, Savage played by Jim Carrey. Yeah. They, they, they managed to shoehorn in a, a Robert Downey Jr. cameo in this movie. So having yeah, Jim Carrey show up. That was his comeback to uh, to the movies, to the big screen, because he had uh, just come off of a, a little down uh, yes. side of his career. And uh, this was kind of his comeback. Matt Savage can now take credit for 
Robert Downey Jr.'s comeback. Also, this is what <laughs> what can't Matt Savage do? So, Matt, when you're when you're on on set as an actor during that, are you also sort of guiding the poker? Are you weighing it at all? Or are you just acting during your scenes? Yeah, yes and no. I mean, I did actually had a lot to do with the the uh, tournament hands, but uh, for the most part, she. Carol Fenelon was her name. Listen to uh, Jason Lester. And even though we tried to tell them not to do certain things, they said that they wanted some creative license over the hands, too. So Right. Okay. So that was going to be my next question. What things did you fight the most for? Which ones did you lose? Which ones did you win? Well, the main one was the uh, the folding of the aces. Uh, I, I fought very, very hard against that. And uh, they had to put into the movie that he wasn't showing his cards to the whole card camera because uh, of that he could was able to fold the aces without me knowing as a tournament director and giving him a penalty or you know calling him out for collusion that's something that James and I noticed when we so we just rewatched the movie uh, just to, so we'd be able to have this conversation with you and we're like oh now we get why he's not showing his hold cards to the camera because <laughs> yes uh, first of all Matt I have to say you and I I have, you're a man after my own heart you know how to you know how to keep a bit going and the yes. lucky you bit I fucking respect it I respect it so much. I like that you're relentless. I like that you post the checks. I like that you talk about how great the movie is. I'm yeah. I'm here for it. I I have no interest in, in demolishing that bit. I'm we're on the same page, just with different bits. First but, of all, by the way, it was only on this most recent viewing, and I've seen the movie about three or four times that I realized, Matt, that it is meant to be set in 2003. That the guy who beats uh, Robert Duvall heads up is kind of meant to be the moneymaker character with Robert Duvall being the kind of Sammy Farhar of the story. It is in effect a period piece and I didn't realize that until this most recent viewing. Absolutely. That's exactly what they were going after for sure. It, uh, what is it like a, a period piece set four years ago? It's still not contemporary, um, and, and it is about a real event that took place. And okay, they've changed the names to protect the innocent, but the idea of the kind of old wily veteran playing heads up against the new generation of online qualifier is true to what happened in two thousand and three. Absolutely. Um, can you explain, Matt, why some of the poker players are playing themselves? Daniel Negreanu, Barry Greenstein, Dor Brunson. And then bizarrely, you have Jennifer Harmon as Shannon Kincaid, John <laughs> Hennigan playing this asshole at the final table. And why are you tournament director Gil Edwards rather than tournament director <laughs> Matt Savage? I don't know. I asked about that. We tried to, I actually wanted to play myself, but they said no. They wanted me to have some kind of name. And, and I think it was actually because they had built that in as those guys were the cash game players. And then some of the other people were more tournament players. And so I think they, for the tournament players, they tried to use, um, I don't know, screen names. And I don't know why. I'm not really sure. So we had a couple of questions about some of the poker. I realized that you didn't have a say in all the poker scenes of the movie. Um, but we wanted to get your opinion and how maybe if you weren't involved in it, um, what you would have done differently. If you were involved in it, how the conversations went. The first of which being, James... The misdeal. Now, here's yes. the weird thing. I mean, obviously, with the number of poker players involved in the making of this movie, with how much respect Curtis Hansen and Eric Roth clearly had towards the game, the poker in this movie is pretty authentic. It's very hard to kind of find anything too egregious in this movie. 
with the exception of the the final hand, and I can understand why you fought that, Matt, because it's still to this day is like, ugh, no, yeah. no one would do that. And hilariously, when we reviewed Lucky You all those years ago, we also reviewed the movie Deal with Burt Reynolds, which has exactly the same ending. I can't remember which came first, but literally it has the same payoff. Um, but there is that scene where... Eric Banner is trying to qualify for the World Series of Poker. He's playing the Super Satellite. He's heads up against Michael Shannon. And there's the whole old, fumbly, mumbly dealer who screws up, fails to deal the burn card on the river. And after the pot's been pushed, and Eric Banner has pretty much been presented with his ticket to the World Series main event, suddenly everyone has to wait. And he has to come back to the table because, sir, the rules are... There has to be a burn card. So we have to basically take that river card, make that the burn card, and deal a new river card. And it's like, come on. <laughs> not only is the handover, the tournament's over. You're not going to retroactively deal out the hand again. Were you involved in any of the conversations relating to this moment in the movie? Uh, I was because I, at that time, I was talking to them um, as to why that wouldn't be the case. Right. <laughs> and they still wanted to do it that way. Uh, in watching it myself just recently, I saw that you know we wouldn't have known which burn card it was. It wouldn't. We wouldn't have known if it was you know. That's true. Which burn card it was? So a hundred percent right. Because of course Michael Shannon only just goes. There's a, there's not enough burn cards. But you're right. They don't know where he didn't deal a burn card. Right. So it would have stayed. Obviously. I kind of. If they wanted that that drama, they could kind of could have had. You know, Eric Banner fist pump and like, yes, shipped it. And then immediately him spot, hold on a second, he didn't deal the burn card. You could have got away with that. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what ex that's why I was actually auditioning for that role as a satellite director. Right. And didn't get the job. And then later on, I auditioned for the other one and got it. So it's kind of a good thing. I would have been had that little bit role instead of this huge role in the later in the movie if I would have got that job at that time. What's crazy is that if you gun to my head, I would have said that was you in that scene. I remembered that being you when I saw it originally. It's it's crazy how your memory, as you become an older person, plays tricks on you. I would have I would have bet any amount of money that you were in both scenes. Um, so when you're having that conversation, is it happening on the set? at the time and is it intimidating like because i know i was i was fucking stressed out when i was doing the poker consulting and i was like there were some things i was like please don't do this please don't do this please don't do this you're gonna make me look like an idiot how hard did you were you able to fight for some of this stuff well i was lucky in that spot that i wasn't there because if i was there in that movie i would have definitely done something different but at the same time i was on the set and that was at binion's horseshoe um in downtown so we actually had uh, people there we were all there you know telling them what to do and how to do it so and you weren't alone on this either creatively this this could have been the ruling for that situation it's not like it's so out of line you know some, sure. that ruling could have been made how about that okay next scene i wanted to ask you about and i doubt you had anything to do with this is they're like playing guts in the diner i'm just wondering if this is a version of this game you've ever seen before or since, because I'm not exactly sure what game they're playing. Yeah, I, I watched that and I said, yeah, there's it's not anything that I've ever seen before, but it does work. The game would work. You could play it like that. Okay, so that one kind of works too. Next thing I wanted to get into is some of the prop bets. 
that are in the movie. Um, I've always asked about prop bets, and Matt, I feel like you've seen your fair share of these. And was there consulting that happened on the prop bets, or was this stuff that the director and the writer had just heard of and they crammed into the movie? They heard of it and crammed into the movie. You know, the the breasts, you know, obviously was, you know, a, a, a real bit that happened, a real prop bet that happened. Um, and some of the other things, too, the, the staying in the bathroom and the golf bets have also happened, and uh, we've seen those over the years. So a lot of those things have happened before, are written in books or whatever, or they just heard about them. I wanted to specifically talk about the golf bet because that's the one that was like, I think must have happened months before they filmed it. I mean, that was right at the time. It was Eric Lindgren had to do seven. Do you remember this? 72 holes, four rounds of golf in a day, a hundred degrees walking and break 90 or a hundred. We were talking about this recently, uh, four straight times, which he did. He did make it, but he was almost passed out, uh, like on the 15th hole of the fourth round, he was laying in the middle of the fairway. Did you have money on this particular bet? I did not. I did not. Uh, I would have liked the yes, which he did make it, but I think that uh, everybody was on the other side, thought it was a much better bet. A couple people bought out, I think, right? Close to the end. Was it Ivy or something bought out yeah. for like hundreds of thousands? They bought out because he was cruising along and he almost didn't make it still. So that scene was, um, I think, one of the better scenes in the movie, personally. I like that one a lot. Prop bet stuff is always pretty interesting. I think the uh, prop bet stuff in the film is 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 pretty solid, actually. And is because it's all based on reality, it, 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 it works. Um, and also, yeah, to, to give credit to the, the, the reconstruction of the World Series of Poker, again, because we knew we were going to be talking to you, Matt, I was paying attention to the tournament clocks, which occasionally appear in shot, and... You did a good job in making sure that they were updated and it does clearly show the progression and the blinds are going up and it's showing the fact that this is taking place over a long period of time. Absolutely. And it has the actual payouts from 2003 as well. So when you're doing that, what was your method of like record keeping continuity? It was another thing that drove me really, really crazy on the set that I was like kind of guiding the actors and telling them, okay, when he yells action, you're going to put your chips forward and then you're going to push your cards in and you're going to do this. But please, everyone, remember what you do because when they call cut, you're going to have to pull everything back in. Were you also having to do that same sort of wrangling? Absolutely. Curtis Hansen was really, really uh, particular about that and continuity. And it's, it's great because they actually used me for timing, like my voice, I would call, you know, the certain, the direction of the way the hands went and they just followed my voice. Basically I would say something and then the next person would act. And then, you know, that, I think that part of it was really well done, you know, for the most part. So you've already mentioned the fact that obviously you didn't necessarily disagree with how, sorry, you didn't necessarily agree with how they covered the whole misdeal thing. You don't, didn't like the aces fold at the end. Was there anything you were able to prevent? Was there anything that you were able to change where to make it more authentic or make it more realistic? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, I think in the beginning you you see these uh, miracle hands and we tried to get away from doing all of those things. Yeah. And I would constantly be telling him, you know, that's a little bit of a stretch, you know, and obviously, you know, river cards happen and things happen in these hands, but you can't make it so uh, fantastical that it didn't uh, it didn't look real. And I think that we did a good job of that too. 
So the other question I've always wanted to know the answer to is I very clearly remember being at the Rio in 2006 and at the World Series that year, there being a presentation of this movie, including the full theatrical trailer. So it's clearly shot before the summer of 2006. This movie then did not get released for another 12 months. What happened? Were there reshoots, re-edits? There was definitely a lot of edits and I had to do a lot of voice work. In, you know, after the fact, they I actually brought me to some place here in Vegas to do a lot of the uh, voiceovers and things right. like that. There was a lot of that going on. Absolutely. Were you not only doing voiceovers, but were you writing it as well? Were you saying like, okay, this isn't the dialogue that I, I would be saying here. This isn't accurate. Were you having to rewrite at the same time? No, actually, more more or less, they would come to me and say, how would you say this? And then they would record it that way. These these lazy fucks. You should have had a writing credit too, Matt Savage. Oh, it's all good. It's I can good. understand why it spent a lot of time in post production. I can see how they struggled to make it work because a lot of the poker scenes play out in near enough real time. A lot of the poker hands, especially in, in the Bellagio in the first half of the movie, in real time with no music, no voiceover, and it kind of it's it's very dry and very difficult, I think, for the audience to follow. And I can understand how they were just trying to find a way of making this work. What was the general reaction from from the poker world in Vegas, from everyone who you know in the community when this film finally came out? Uh, a lot of people didn't buy the love story. That's, I think, what actually was the downfall of the movie, that the I love agree. story wasn't really uh, uh, realistic. A actually, that, that, I think, was the biggest, the biggest problem. Um, and some people had a problem with the fact that he was, you know, taking money from her and things like that which is actually realistic. No, it, it, the, the problem is it's very hard for someone to be the hero in your movie when you're constantly portraying them as a complete scumbag. And unfortunately, and look, I, this is my personal opinion, I don't think Eric Banner is a strong enough actor to make that character charming enough to get away with that behavior so that you still like him in some small way. I just couldn't stand the character. And we talked before about the fact that Drew Barrymore doesn't really sell her character either. It almost seems to me, though, Matt, that they'd left that story. They'd parked it that, right, when she's had enough of him and she goes back to Bakersfield, I think it is, and then it all becomes about the poker, that the ending is then all about the showdown with his dad. And it's almost, again, this is where I kind of questioned whether there'd been a reshoot. In when she comes back at the end, it's almost like a hat on a hat. The ending is, <laughs> I, it's like, I've, I let my dad kind of have his moment, let him shine. I'll have my moment in the future. The dad's going to go off and be a celebrity. The, the father and son are kind of like, you know, they've sorted out their differences, end. The fact that it's then kind of like, oh, and by the way, she's back and we're now going to be a couple. Mm, too many endings. Yeah, I think, it, I think that's where they missed in this movie, actually. Um, so Matt, I, I, um, think, I think the poker was fine. I just think that the love story didn't quite uh, didn't quite do it. So I, my memories of being on set, it, it, it obviously were very stressful, as I've said a couple different times. But part of it too is like forever. I'm going to dine out. That I spent a week hanging out with Oscar Isaac. I spent a week hanging out with Tiffany Haddish. Do you have good memories of hanging with? Curtis Hansen, Eric Banner, Robert Duvall. Tell us something about Duvall. you know what 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 that was legend. like. Legend. I mean, the man is he's a, legend. a fucking legend. Yeah, a lot of that happened. And to be honest, Eric Banner is hilarious. Uh, he's actually a comedian, and uh, he would do um, copy all of our voices. 
And he did one of me and did one of basically everybody there at that table. Uh, so not a, none of that's in the movie, obviously, but that was a hilarious part. But working with Robert Duvall, uh, you know, you just saw how good he was and, and you know, how much experience he has as an actor. And that is the one thing that did happen to me when Robert Duvall wasn't on his spot and Curtis Hansen kept yelling at me to get onto my spot. And I kept telling him I was on my spot. And then I looked over to Robert Duvall and said, well, Robert, you're actually not on your spot. And he said, son, I'm always on my spot. <laughs> it was silent in that room. And I just felt the sweat dripping down my head. It was, yeah, it was pretty intense. I had a couple of moments like that, too, where, like, I didn't realize that, you know, I was working with a director that was legendary um, and everyone had this great amount of reverence for him on the set. And I would just like walk up to him and be like, Paul, don't do this. And like everyone would gasp like I just <laughs> exactly. like like I just try to like, you know, like stuck my head inside the alligator's mouth. And I'm like, what am I not supposed to? And they're like, no, generally, no, you're not supposed to just like walk right <laughs> up to the director and do that stuff. So I could I uh, that sweat moment. We're like, you're like, oh, shit, I just said the wrong thing to like to a fucking legend. Holy shit. Never mind. I'm going back in my corner now. Bye. Exactly. You know, he had just come off of Eight Mile. He'd just done that movie and uh, yeah. won an Oscar for uh, what was it? He won the Oscar for LA Confidential. LA Confidential Eric, right. Eric so. Roth had won the Oscar for Forrest Gump. I mean, a lot of talent involved in making this movie. It doesn't surprise me what you say about Eric Banner, because I always say the movie I enjoyed him in the most is Funny People, which is, although a drama, is a lighthearted movie, and he's a, he's great in that. Maybe maybe he should have like stuck to, to comedies. Maybe that was where his kind of natural talents should have played out. Yeah, maybe yeah. You, and, uh, you and him should do a show together, Joe. Uh, if Eric, you're saying he comes from a stand-up comedy background, like literally yes, as a stand-up comedian, absolutely. This makes me totally do a 180 on him because I'm quite hard on him in like his leading man action roles, and maybe he's a guy that never really intended to do any of that, and he's been forced into it as like a stand-up comedian. That happens sometimes. Like, oh, can you do drama? Oh, can you be an action star? So maybe a lot of this isn't his fault, even. Well, I'm just going to say, Joe, that if you ever do encounter Eric Banner, make sure that he doesn't listen to episode 103 yeah, of this no, podcast. Yeah, no, this isn't good. That wouldn't be good. Yeah. <laughs> I believe I did listen to that at some point. I think that's kind of, to... you know, our our uh, disagreements on this movie started, Joe. I think I did listen to that. I'm oh, sure. that could be. Oh, I could see that's why you would come hard at the card counter. That makes sense. Yeah, if I, if I went pretty hard at Lucky You. I get it. I get being attached to something. I get being proud of something. Even if you can be like, oh, look, I can say the card counter has its flaws when people say they did not like it i'm like that's totally a valid opinion i'm never i'm not gonna chastise you it's not a movie for everyone it's a movie that if i hadn't worked on i might not have liked it i don't know it's hard to say so i definitely we've we've gone easier on movies over the years because we realize it's hard to make things especially to make poker things oh joe you say that we are about to review michael flatley's blackbird and i will (laughs) not be pulling my punches but before we get to that uh, Matt, you know, because you are a regular listener to the show, that it is customary for all guests to endure, and I use that word appropriately, one of Joe Stapleton's custom quizzes. All right, let's do it. All right, Matt. So this one, this week's game is called Rotten Tomate Bros. Uh, <laughs> okay. It is a combination of us being bros and Rotten Tomatoes. I have pulled reviews from both Lucky You and The Card Counter off of Rotten Tomatoes. And I'm going to read you two snippets of reviews, and you have to tell me which one is Lucky You, which one is The Card Counter. All right. 
Easy, right? Rotten Tomatoes, question number one. I have five of these set up. Question number one, choice A is, tries to combine a romantic story with the high-stakes world of poker, but comes up with an empty hand. Review That's number one. Awesome. Review number two is, even with a great cast and respected director, the slow and dreary movie adds up to a disappointing letdown. Also lucky you, I would imagine. No, 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 it's one and one. There, it's, you have to, what, you, the, I'm gonna read oh. one of each for both things. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So you have to decide which one of those was lucky you, which one was the card counter. The romance has to be lucky you. So I'm gonna say the first one is lucky you. Matt is correct, yes. First one was lucky you, second one was the card counter. Okay, Matt's one for one. Question number two. Would be distinctly better if it were shorter in length and clearer about the rules of the game. Its idea that gamblers carry on much the same in life as they do at the tables is hardly original enough to sustain the whole film. That's that's review number one. Review number two is, for all its moody moralizing, this movie is a slow burn bluff with little new to offer. <laughs> I'm going to go one is lucky you again, but they could both be. They could be either <laughs> that's, that's you are correct. You're two for two, Matt. Here we go. Question By number way, three. By the way, can I highlight... All of the pathetic poker metaphors that movie reviewers try and squeeze in to their <laughs> critiques, coming up with an empty hand. It's a slow burn bluff. It's like, we get it, guys. You've got a thesaurus. Well done. They're not <laughs> done yet. Here we go. Question three. While not every film is an ace in the hole, there's still plenty to enjoy in this one. This story is ambitious, imperfect, but inherently watchable. Okay, that's almost positive. The filmmakers shuffle the two sides of the movie, the poker tournament and the love affair with a Howard Hawksian feel for casual professionalism. Uh, that second one's lucky you. Correct. Yes, you're three for three. Oh, my word. The name Howard Hawks should not appear in the same paragraph, let alone the same sentence as lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> But it, it did somehow. All right, question number four, penultimate question here. I don't think I believed the movie, but I sort of enjoyed it. A caveat, I enjoy watching poker on ESPN. If you don't, this movie will bore you. That's review number one. Review number two, it's not hyperbole to say the director might have just delivered the film of the year with blank. Wow. Well, that the first one is... is uh lucky you that's four for four it went lucky you then the card counter okay last question here oh i think i, I did six actually all right sorry this is more than five this is fun anyway all right here we go two more two more uh the film has a broodingly commanding central performance it's a pity then that much of its promise is squandered by sloppiness both in the writing and elsewhere Next review is, the film concerns itself with wage makers' addictive pathological itch, desperate hustles, and poker's cult of very strange personalities. Its most striking sports movie kinship, victory and vindication and victory don't always arrive together. The second one is lucky you. That is correct. All right, here we go. <laughs> Last question. Here we go. These are two of my favorites. Review number one. Better to fold them than to spend time watching the romance between the two leads go literally nowhere. 
review number two. It contains a handful of interesting shots and some tightly written suspenseful scenes, but it's also kind of hyper-masculine nonsense. <laughs> the first one is lucky you. That is correct. Yes, yeah, six for six, Matt Savage. You crushed it. You crushed Rotten Tomate. We are Rotten Tomate bros, me and you, you Matt go. Savage. I love it. Matt, thank you very much for reliving your memories of working on that movie. Great as ever to talk to you, and hopefully we'll catch up with you on the circuit sometime soon. Let's do it. And uh, it's Amazon Prime. Check it out. Lucky you. <laughs> He's always shilling the He movie. needs the residual checks, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> It makes me happy. Honestly, every time you post the checks, I'm like, fucking Matt, I love this bit. <laughs> uh, it's a great bit. It really is. Matt Savage has no idea how lucky he is that he dodged the bullet that is Blackbird. We leap forward <laughs> 11 years from Lucky You because this film was actually made in 2018, then sat on a shelf for four years, during which time apparently there was extensive re-editing. Where it no should amount, have stayed. <laughs> no amount of tweaking or amending could save this movie. It received a limited theatrical release in the UK and Ireland in 2022. It's now available on most on-demand services, at least in my part of the world. The weird thing about this, Joe, is we have a record for looking at what we call bad poker movies. And by the way, we class a poker movie as something that contains a scene of poker. This film has a scene of poker. And Does we it? are going to get into it <laughs> in detail because I have written down extensive notes about the Hold'em scene in this film. But if you look at movies like Money Plane, if you look at a movie like Danny's Game, they're shot on video. They never saw the inside of a movie theater. This received a theatrical release somehow, where, as far as I can tell, it was laughed at by critics. And many people have slapped the so bad it's good label on this movie. I did find many parts of it unintentionally hilarious. I did yeah. laugh out loud at some of the serious moments in this film. I have to say, though, it probably is so bad it's bad. I was I was gonna say that I don't look. Uh, it's rare that I will just completely eviscerate a movie. I think in this case we don't risk offending many members of the filmmaking community about being honest about what this movie is. It does not have any of the charm that something like The Room has, where you can be like, "Oh, this is so bad, it's good." I think it is so bad, it's bad. It takes itself very, very seriously, um, and it it in my opinion, is almost technically not even a movie. Well, uh, as far as it how... is being spoken about in the same breath as films like The Room and some of the work <sighs> of Neil Breen because it falls under the same banner of being a vanity project. It is written, directed, produced by and starring Michael Flatley, who also funded the movie. He describes it as a passion project, but yeah, he made it for himself and clearly was not surrounded by anyone who was going to disagree with him about some of his artistic creative choices and what you have is a terrible one critic described this by the way as a mash together of casino royale and casablanca which story-wise kind of is not a million miles away but in terms of creative quality could not be further from the truth yeah so what i'll start with some of the positives this movie doesn't look that cheap to me um no, as far I as yeah, Michael I've, Flatley is a very, very rich man. He made a yes. fortune from Lord of the Dance, and he's clearly invested a significant amount of his net worth into this. 
Yeah, so it's not one of those things you turn on. It actually takes you a few minutes to realize how bad this movie is because it has all of the visuals. And I, by the way, I don't know if they the score is kind of good. Like the opening shots of this movie has like an interesting musical score. The the shots are look, look nice. I was like, oh, this doesn't look like a cheap movie. It isn't until you start getting into um, the repetitiveness of how this movie is shot and how really truly awful the dialogue is that you realize it's bad. It can fool you for a good long while. Now I'm going to say two things about this movie to start things off. And one thing that I've literally never done before, I think overall that this movie um, could have been an interesting first act to another better movie. Um, Okay. That if you would, cut out all of the unnecessary stuff in this movie. It would, might be like an okay 30 minutes of another movie that actually had a plot. Counterpoint. I struggled for most of this film, including the first 30 minutes, to work out what the fuck was going on. Yes. No, and I think that that's the point, is like you're supposed to be engaged, but it doesn't work like that. And so the other thing I'll say that I've never done this before, I eventually started watching this movie on 2x speed, Um, Oh, wow. During the dialogue, I was on 2X. And like, so this movie is a series of scenes of people doing stuff. And I know that that doesn't sound very descriptive, but like, it's a guy getting dressed. It's someone making a drink. It's someone walking down the street. And so I started doing after the first I was it was I was like, how long have I been watching this movie? And I was 16 minutes into it. And I was like, I can't do even an hour. So during the scenes of dialogue, I was mostly watching at 2x speed about halfway through. And then during the just people doing stuff, I was 5xing it. Wow. I had to say, by watching the dialogue scenes at 2x speed, you're not getting the full benefit of the awfulness of the delivery of that dialogue. The one thing I will say about Michael Flatley is he took a very good decision to make sure that he surrounded himself with people who are just as bad as he is at acting. (laughs) His performance is atrocious, but nobody else in this movie is that good either. So let's talk about the plot and let's see if I've got this correct. Okay, yeah. So Michael Flatley is a British government agent based in Ireland. I don't know if he's government agent. He is a some sort of maybe he's off the books. Maybe he's clandestine. I don't know what it. But yes, but he reports to a guy who works in London, the Patrick Bergen. Patrick Bergen. Oh my! How did how did I thought Patrick Bergen was an actor? He is. Yes, but pretty bad in this movie. I mean, Um, but he's also not good in it. No, no. So he runs, and I'm talking about Michael Flatley's character again, Victor Blackley, the Blackbird. He runs this little unit, which I guess is like the IMF in the Mission Impossible movies, called the Chieftains, which is this elite unit. And because his wife, who I think may or may not have been part of this unit, dies, and the movie, by the way, is meant to start with a scene of great tragedy where he's burying his wife. It's so overdone, overbaked, and the dialogue is so terrible that I was laughing during the scene, especially the way Michael Flatley is staring, standing in the rain with his hat at a stupid angle and all this water just rushing off it like he's a drain pipe. It's, it's like it, f- Flatley, casket, yeah. Flatley, casket, casket, Flatley, Flatley, casket, and then priest, Flatley, priest, casket, casket, priest, Flatley. It, there's so much cross-cutting back oh. and forth between people in this movie that you're just like, what is happening? I got, I got it. I got it. Now, so for me, James, I'm actually trying to be generous here. 
I actually think some of these scenes could have been some, I wouldn't say powerful, but at least convey some emotion if we had any context whatsoever. But all this stuff happens without us knowing anything about who, who these characters are, so you don't care. He's also, you've referenced it already, tried to shoehorn in some bizarre Catholic themes to the movie that go nowhere, by the way. Maybe the church gave him some money. I'm not sure. That's That could have been a... So the rest of the chieftains at the funeral ask the question, what is Victor going to do next? Because he's clearly done. (laughs) I'm afraid of what he's going to do next. We then crash forward to 10 years later. By the way, in that 10 years, no one has aged at all. They all look the same age, but they have all become alcoholics. And he is now running a bar slash hotel in Barbados called the Blue Moon. But what I don't understand is the rest of the chieftains are now working as the staff at that hotel, even though they are still on the books of. Uh, No, I think that I think that I think that Victor and Nick are off the books. They have retired. They're only running the hotel. The young lady that works with them is still somehow connected to London. She's the one getting information back and forth. But Patrick Bergen has stayed. But she's still reporting to him, and he's basically saying to her, we have to get Victor involved. You need to bring him back. Making it sound like all the others are still involved and are trying to encourage him to return to the Chieftains. But as I said, there is no point trying to follow the plot of this movie. Mm -hmm. It's so poorly conceived and executed. The key thing to understand here is that Michael Flatley clearly sees himself as Humphrey Bogart in Casablanca. The Blue Moon is the Barbados equivalent of Rick's Cafe in Casablanca. And he's almost said, what if, like, Victor Laszlo and Ilsa showed up, but Victor Laszlo was a villain rather than a good guy? Because along comes Eric Roberts, who, by the way, does not appear to be sober in any of his scenes. I would say that somehow Eric Roberts has managed to find a movie that's beneath him, which is pretty hard to do. Like Eric Roberts is far and away the best part of this movie. He is somehow taking the really awful dialogue and occasionally making it work. I don't know how he did it. So the MacGuffin in this movie is something called the formula. By the way, this part of the story is the kind of stuff I was writing when I was 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And it's some kind of, scientific mumbo jumbo that in the right hands is going to solve all illnesses but in the wrong hands is going to cause mass genocide and eric roberts is an arms dealer who's involved in trying to get the formula this is weird stuff in london that doesn't make any sense a weird torture death scene that doesn't make any sense but the main plot is obviously the fact that you're going to have the showdown at some point between um, Eric Roberts and Michael Flatley. And of course, there is the femme fatale, a character called Vivian, who seems to be the love of Michael Flatley's life, even though I thought the love of his life was his wife who got burnt to death or, well, he shot her, right? So that she wouldn't have to burn to death. Well, yeah, we don't find that out to the very end of the movie. But, but yes, we keep seeing um, flashbacks to it, right? Little, yes. little badly edited flashbacks, which hint that he had to, that he's the one who killed her and he did what he had to do. He was responsible one way or the other, yes, for his wife's death. Yes, and then Vivian is someone that once she appears, you're right, uh, we're supposed to think she's the one that got away somehow, even though we have yet to have heard 
anything about her. She just appears out of nowhere with the bad guy. Um, one so of the things... Yeah, go on. That night, by the way, when he, you know he, Keith has this thing where he comes down and he basically shakes hands with all of the mercenaries and arms dealers who for some reason populate his hotel in Barbados. And then he walks up to Vivian and they start dancing. During that awkward scene, I don't know why, but I was just paying attention to all the background actors yeah. who literally were like, now when my cue is to stand up, one, two, three steps to the left, turn, wave, <laughs> yeah, walk out of, of frame. Yes. It's amazing. It's ama- The whole thing is just so awkward. So I have a theory, and I was texting you about this yesterday, James. My theory is that they used every single shot that they filmed in the movie. There is nothing in the cutting room floor, as far as I'm concerned, as far as it's just like we're going to film this person walking from here to there and then him walking down the hallway. Every, like It's almost a procedural yeah. for how to run a hotel. It is quite <laughs> weird how much stuff they show you doing him going from this table to that table to that table. It is a collection of scenes that he thought would make him look cool. Can you explain the scene where he's standing shirtless in the bathroom and then applying shaving cream and then it just cuts? I can't explain it. He wanted to do a shirtless scene in his movie. Like, I can absolutely explain it. I Okay. He's trying to be this kind of amalgamation of James Bond and Humphrey Bogart, and he's not close to being either. I also had this thing. So at this point in the movie, there's a scene where, uh, again, there's another Catholic thing crowbarred down our throats right around this part of the movie and th- something happens in this scene that I noticed happened a bunch of times during the rest of the movie is so two characters will be speaking at one with a point of view and the other with a different point of view. So the priest is trying to convince him um, to be careful, I guess. And so what will happen is the priest gives him this like impassioned speech, be careful. And Michael Flatley is like, I'm not going to do that. And then the priest is like, okay, then bye. <laughs> and I noticed that this happens in almost every scene in the movie. The character ends up being swayed by information that should not have swayed them in the first place. And they're like, I have changed my mind now. Thank you for this talk. Good luck with the rest of the movie. We reach a point in the middle of the movie, though, where I wrote down three things in a row, which just had me smiling. Because they're so. This, where, this is where I thought. Excellent. Now we're really getting into so bad it's good territory. When we get the speech about, and I've written down the line verbatim. Say something. A secret society of war criminals called the Crusading Revolution. It's uh, called do you ridding the world. Secret society of war criminals. It's called ridding the world of so-called undesirables. I wrote down that line. Amazing. Which is followed by the boat scene, which is amazing. And Eric Roberts is just kind of like, I'm doing one take of this and one take alone. Gets annoyed with his accountant, pushes his accountant off the boat. Then the captain of the boat appears and is like, you can't push people off the boat. So his henchman literally breaks the guy's neck, throws him into the water, end scene. What? I mean, I just wrote the bank hacking, exclamation point, exclamation point. uh, Because... I mean, look, it's a small complaint at this point, but if you're going to do a bank hack, why would it be on the bow of a boat to begin with? Why wouldn't you do it in an office? They had the boat for the day. And that's followed by my third highlight, which is where someone's looking for Victor. Where is he? Uh, He's on his private balcony. And there is an amazing shot of Michael Flatley, not standing, 
but posing on his balcony as if that's what he does all evening. Just poses on a balcony. That was another scene. Where's Victor? Him. I don't know. I'm not telling you. Actually, he's he's on his balcony. Like just again, a total flip flop. Do you remember right before this happened? There was a. Um, so he's wearing tons of hats. Oh my movie. god! He just wears so many hats. Or often at a ridiculous angle. And there's this amazing scene where he's walking through the hotel lobby having a really in-depth, important conversation with Nick. And someone appears to change yes. his hat for him. Yes, someone, he hands his hat to someone and someone gives him a new hat. <laughs> he changes hats mid-scene. I wrote, it's like, there's just so much stuff in this movie that you're like, I don't know why this was important to you, I'm, but it clearly was. I'm going to say, if you're a fan of hats, this might just be the movie for you. Um, there is also... The jealous singer. Be honest. When she walked into his bedroom and took her clothes off, did you? That's where my hand was was hovering over the fast forward button. I did not want to watch a Michael Flatley sex scene. I didn't, but I was I was relatively confident that what happened was going to happen. That he was going to turn her down. That he was going to be the better man and reject her in that moment, even so, though he's like creepily hanging on to her oh, the whole movie. He, is, he looks creepy AF in this entire film, by the way. And I think he gets his cake and he eats it, right? Because he gets to basically show him as, as as desirable and every woman wants him, but he does the right thing and doesn't sleep with a woman who's probably like a third of his age. Yes, and speaking of that woman and the singer, my theory as to why this movie is only available in your part of the world is because of the Sinatra songs. Oh, really? Yeah, because she's singing two very, very expensive songs right. in this movie, and my guess is the cost of releasing it the rest of the world is going to be like it's it's going to be like ten million dollars to license those two songs probably. Right. So that's my theory as to why it's hard to get in the rest of the world. So apart from just constantly fawning over Michael Flatley, the singer has a small role to play in the actual story. When she sees that Michael and Vivian are getting close, she tips off Eric Roberts. So he now knows that you know Michael Flatley's his nemesis. These which, jealous women, James. That's all they have. I know. Is us I know. men. <laughs> So this leads to their showdown over a poker table. And the game is Texas Hold'em and aces are high. That is how the game is introduced. And something I remember very clearly is you said that when you were hired as the poker consultant on the card counter, I think the very first thing you said is, we have to use proper poker chips. We cannot use what you described as gas station chips. Guess what this movie uses? That's right, chips that you can get or could get about 10 years ago in every single supermarket and gas station across America. Target chips, yeah. Chips from Target, chips from Walmart. Although I would say that isn't even in the top 10 worst things about this poker scene. So as with the rest of the movie, (laughs) the dialogue is pretty risible. This actually reminded me of the scene between Austin Powers and number two at the blackjack table, only this is meant to be deadly serious. But they speak in the same tone of voice. Um, So this is my favorite line from Eric Roberts. You can tell a lot about a man by the way he plays his cards. And as he says that, he picks up his his cards off the table to look at them, (laughs) flashes one of his cards to his opponent, and then puts them both down on the rail of the table. What that tells me is this guy's never played poker before. Okay, I know this is going to be unpopular right now. It is, to me, a little bit plausible that two rich idiots might sit down at a poker player, a poker table, having no idea 
what they're doing or how to play cards, but they think they do the same way Michael Flatley thinks he does in this movie. There's no, a no, small no, no, no. chance. Th- th- this is th- they're clearly trying to show that they are accomplished poker players, and the whole thing is meant to be about reading people. It's it's basically playing on the scene in the train in Casino Royale, right? The whole idea of like what you can tell about someone only written by a child. Um, yes. <laughs> apparently, the the smell of fresh polish is a tell. That's something I've learned, so that's something I'll be taking to Vegas with me. Um, Michael Flatley's response, by the way, to Eric Roberts is, you clearly wish to be seen as intelligent, which would denote a rather narcissistic personality. H- how does this make it to screen? It's it's very, very funny that this scene where they're sizing each other up are things that you would not need to watch someone play poker to size up. You want to be seen as intelligent? Yes, don't we all? Like, it was, it, I mean, it is quite hilarious. Um, the things that, like, I can tell that you're a man that likes to get things done. Like, this is, like, what we're talking about here. Yeah. This is some yeah. really silly shit. So, there are three poker hands in the film. The first is played pre-flop and, dare I say, is not egregious. It goes raise, re-raise, fold. The Boom. amounts are kind of funny, right? It's like raised no, no, to there's 2000. no amount stated. There's no okay, amount stated okay, on the first okay. hand. Um, Michael Flatley raises. Eric Roberts re-raises. Michael Flatley folds. So it's like first blood to Eric Roberts for a very small part. Now, the next hand, we join on the river. And the amounts here are fine. Although, we see Eric Roberts raise to 20,000. I think he's betting 20,000. But right. anyway, Michael Flatley then raises to 50,000. And Eric Roberts calls. Now, I'm going to say that Eric Roberts has played this hand pretty well. Michael Flatley has butchered it. (laughs) We then see the board. At this point, we finally see the board is queen, seven, six, five, deuce with three hearts. So it's a straighty, flushy board, queen high. And Michael Flatley tables queens for what the dealer describes as three of a kind, a set of queens. Eric Roberts tables eight of hearts, three of hearts for a flush and he had a straight draw as well. So, Eric Roberts, I don't, we don't know what the betting action was on any other street, but to bet and then call the raise there with a small flush is perfectly fine. Michael Flatley overplaying his hand slightly, raising with a set of queens on a straighty flushy board? Yeah, look, I mean, come on. I, again, I don't want to hold the players in this metaphorical game to the same standards of which that we are uh, used to seeing. I do believe there are plenty of very rich people out there that would play this, that could play this hand the exact same way. I wasn't that turned off by this particular showdown. Uh, the, the Eric Robbins character having eight three suited seemed perfectly plausible to me. Um, these are just two rich idiots uh, that don't know what they're doing. Fair enough. So we've had two poker hands. We think, all right, this is going reasonably well. Other than the fact that they're both holding their cards in the air off the yes. table the entire time, yes. and it looks like they're playing Go yeah. Fish, yes. By the way, I did check the end credits to see if there was a poker consultant. No one was credited, but there was a guy who was credited as Poker Table Upholsterer. <laughs> no word of a lie. So the third <laughs> and final poker hand, which we join on the flop, we see a flop being dealt, of the Ace of Spades, the King of Clubs, and the Jack of Clubs. Action is on Michael Flatley. He raises, raises despite yes. there being no bet. So he Raise from zero. I'm fine with it. By the way, I, what I wrote in my notes was poker scene, no notes. <laughs> Eric Roberts calls. 
we go to the turn, which is the ace of diamonds pairing the board. So reminder, it's ace, ace, king, jack with the king of clubs, the jack of clubs. Uh, Michael flatly bets again, but this time he announces the amount and he says, raise 50,000. Eric Roberts raises to 70,000 to audible gasps, probably because the audience are like, dude, you can't do that. You can't raise a bet of 50,000 to 70,000. And this is the best thing about this scene. Michael Flatley does not respond to this raise in any way. The river card is then dealt. It literally goes bet, raise, river card. So somehow this illegal raise gets through. Either Michael Flatley called quickly and we don't see it, or it's a 50 K bet met by a bet of 70k I don't know maybe because it wasn't a legal raise it was deemed just a call and that's how we got to the river card I like I like the way you're reading this Joe the river <laughs> card is the nine of clubs so now we have a straighty flushy paired board not just any flushy board it's a straight flush board and as soon as that nine of clubs hit the river I said out loud and everyone on the plane when I was traveling back from Malta, looked at me like, what on earth is he on about? I went, Michael Flatley has Queen 10 of clubs, everyone. <laughs> and Michael Flatley announces 200,000 all in. And Eric Roberts calls because he has ace king for a full house. Guess what Michael Flatley has? If Queen 10 of clubs yeah. for a straight flush, to which Eric Roberts responds, well played, Victor. Very well played. So I guess despite the use of the word raise instead of bet, despite the fact that they hold their cards in the air, the only thing which is a bit ridiculous is the 50k, 70k river card gets dealt. Yes, and the fact that the, the cards look like they were bought at a gas station and they're being, I don't think they touched the table even once, flatly stand, holds his cards up to his face the entire time. It, it's 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 quite breathtaking, but... Not the worst poker that we've ever seen in a movie. Not as bad as Danny's game. It's still pretty bad, but maybe I'm just looking through the lens of how everything in this movie is making me kind of want to, like, crawl up into a ball. Um, obviously, we need to resolve the whole plot now. That was, yeah. as in any Bond movie... Sidebar. Exactly. Bond will face off against the villain over a card table, but then you actually have to have the proper action denouement. But first, there's the henchman to dispatch, a guy called Quan, and a comedy fight scene where a guy who is literally five times Michael Flatley's size and a good 40% of his age is easily, very easily defeated by him so in a poorly choreographed, horrifically edited fight sequence. Actually, this fight scene was a highlight for me because I was like, you know what? If Flatley's going to be good at anything in this movie, he's a he's a dancer, he's an athlete, right? He's going to know how to move. He's gonna. This is going to be his time to shine. And I agree with you about all that stuff about the fight scene not being great. However, he did. He was decent at stage fighting, I thought. Um, although not only does he win this fight, James. But he punches the guy to death. He kills is... the guy and, and <laughs> is clearly so conflicted by it. He then goes on a massive bender and passes out on the beach from drinking too much Bacardi. And it is the second scene in an under 90 minute movie in which people feel bad about stuff and pass out drunk somewhere to deal with their demons. Which is why... And again, we talk about Catholicism being shoehorned in. He then has to go and see the priest. And it's a line I knew was coming because it was in the trailer. He finally goes into the confessional and says, 
bless me, Father, for I have sinned, and I'm about to sin again. If this were a comedy, great line. But in a drama which is so po-faced, there is no irony in this movie whatsoever. No scene is meant to raise a smirk or a smile. It's just painful. Not only is that line painful, but it's not like the closing line of the scene. He then goes on to confess more stuff after that and continue speaking to the priest. And I'm like, dude, like, that's your button line. Like, get the fuck out. What the hell are you doing? What's going on? Like, I also wanted to mention that his poor, his poor valet was uh, murdered. He gets shot in the back of the head. Well, we're to believe he's shot in the back of the head. But then when he finds the body, he's laying on his back, like, as if he, like, laid down on the floor. Blood on the floor, but I don't know how you get shot in the back of the head and end up on your back. It doesn't make any sense to me. Not not crumpled up, not anything, just, like, Dracula style, just flat on his back, on the floor. Um, And luckily, after this church scene, yet another church scene, we have an implied action scene. Oh, my God. So, just to bring you up to speed, guys, the formula, the MacGuffin in this movie, has been stolen from Eric Roberts by his girlfriend, who's given it to Michael Flatley. And then they made a copy of it for some reason? Yeah, which makes no sense. Um, She's now being held hostage by Eric Roberts, and the whole idea is that Flatley has to go and exchange the formula to save her life. And... He gives them the copy, which I'm guessing is a blank disc, because when the supervillain of the movie... It's almost like they were setting up a sequel, by the way, because the supervillain of this movie, I guess who is the head of... What was the organization called? The Chieftains. No, the Crusading Revolution. The secret society of war criminals. The leader of that society survives. So Blackbird 2, if Michael Flatley wants to sell another house, could still become a reality. Um, But... There is, you're right, then the action scene, the showdown between Michael Flatley, Eric Roberts, and his remaining henchmen, where they just come out guns blazing. I believe the line is, shall we dance, which is meant to be a kind of nod to the audience because he's a lord of the dance. It then goes to an overhead shot where you just see people firing guns, but no one actually hitting anything. And you're thinking, oh, did they all die? Do you really think this movie is going to have a downbeat ending? Before that happens, though, when they first get to the, the shipyard where the showdown is happening, they they show up and it feels like there's going to be a showdown. And then the bad guy's henchmen drag Michael Flatley out of frame. And then you hear punch, 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 pop, pop, pop. And then he comes back out having defeated four people. And they're like, yeah, we couldn't be asked to shoot this action scene. They probably realize very quickly that this stuff takes a long time to choreograph and it's actually very hard to execute well, so let's do it off screen. The same thing with the gun battle at the end. Yes, hilarious. So funny. Obviously, this movie is not going to end on a a, a bad note, so Michael Flatley gets to go home to Ireland, stand by his wife's grave again. I guess he feels he's framing the narrative. Oh my God. But of course, Vivian shows up who was the love of his life anyway, so fuck his dead wife. He gets to go off with her, and we presume that Eric Roberts is dead. It's uh, it's a bit of a head-scratcher of a movie. And, James, what do you think the actual runtime of this movie should have been? Um, uh, zero minutes. Okay, right. Sorry. It's one of those, this movie should not be. Um, it, it falls under 90 minutes, but by God, does it feel longer than that? Because, yeah, there's just... If you had actually started and ended the scenes where they're supposed to start and end, I think this movie's probably like about 48 minutes long. 
I think it only gets to an hour and 27 minutes because we have a five-minute scene of him checking his cufflinks. A four-minute scene. Oh, my God, we forgot in the beginning. There's the, the scientist guy who, like, or not, I don't know who he is, a secret agent well, who has I, I alluded formula. to stuff happening in London that makes no sense because you don't know who the characters are. There's basically a guy walking across Waterloo Bridge and along the embankment being followed by three heavies. A weird scene in a church with some nuns. He's then shot in an alleyway. A woman then goes off into a car. None of it makes any sense. And I just gave up. I'm like, I can't be bothered. I'm, I'm not invested enough in this to try and work out what's happening. They're trying to create mystery and suspense, yes. but all they're doing is just leaving me confused and board but anyway we're giving the poker scene an a minus no 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 for not having decent quality cards decent quality chips not really understanding the rules of the game and the language of the game in trying to make this feel authentic they failed dismally two of the hands they get lucky and play out okay that third one is just a bit silly the setup of the full house versus the straight flush fine but that bet illegal rays jump straight to the river really really annoyed me isn't it cool though that we work in a world that people look at so romantically and so that it just had to be it has to be a part of all these movies even though i have nothing that's going on like that's that's us that's our lives i mean like can you imagine a world where you had been the poker consultant on blackbird rather than the card counter I tell you what, I'd have been charging this guy a hell of a lot more than I charged for the card counter. And I'd you probably... would have got a trip to Barbados because I get the impression this production was there for some time. It looks like it, yeah. And I'm just—I don't know. I feel, look. Hopefully, you know. Hopefully, he's happy with this. I want—I just want people to be happy. Hopefully, he got what he wanted out of this. He's—he's probably close to a billionaire, right? Lord of the Dance was like that big in the '90s, wasn't it? In uh, the early yeah. 2000s. Oh, he's a multi-millionaire at the very least, yeah. and. Look, I don't know if he's personally happy with it. Uh, Postscript is, we talked about it sitting on the shelf for a few years. It was picked up by a, by a distribution company, and I don't know how much they paid for it, but I doubt he is in any way close to profit on this. He did, however, win an award. He did win the Best Actor Award at the Monaco Streaming Film Festival in 2021. Now, I am not going to cast any aspersions as to the legitimacy of this film festival yeah. or how he won the award. But yeah. interestingly, that got some very interesting word of mouth going about this film with some press outlets speculating that Michael Flatley might actually you know, be eligible for a BAFTA or an Oscar. And no, no. I, I don't know who else was nominated for this award, but his performance is one of the worst I think I've ever seen. This is, and we've sat through some turds, not just one of the worst poker movies I've ever seen. This is, without a shadow of a doubt, one of the worst movies released in a cinema that I have ever, ever seen. It, uh, it Compared to a Danny's game, where at least I was curious about what was going on in every scene, um, where I wanted to see where it went. Yes, it, it was obviously quite whatever not a very good movie this movie was painful i had to watch it at multiple speed just to get through it and i've never ever done that before i would say the circumstances of watching this film probably also dictate how you feel about it and i did watch this 
on a plane which was stuck on the tarmac at Malta Airport because of a French air traffic controller strike in a tiny, cramped EasyJet seat. So I was not in a positive frame of mind, but I don't think... I don't think that necessarily would have made me feel any fonder of this movie had I watched it sat at home on my sofa. I was going to say, if it was like the best day of your life, if you had just like won a scratch-off ticket for $10,000, <laughs> what grade would you have given this movie? How no, much not, higher? It's, it's maybe a 0.01 of a percent or something. <laughs> Sadly, Joseph, as much as I'd love to park this conversation, we are not done with this movie because as we advertised earlier and have been advertising for many weeks... Blackbird is the subject of our Superfan Contest. And we say hello again to Andre Nazar. Welcome back, Andre. Thank you for having me again. So, just to be clear, you came on the podcast, the founder, you lost to Joe. I don't like using the word lost, but basically you did not win. But that doesn't mean you didn't weren't meant to get some prizes because we always give our superfans merch. But your merch never arrived. In fact, I know where it is. It's back on the Isle of Man. It came back, returned to sender. So I don't know what went wrong. So right. your idea, and I like it, is double or nothing. So basically, the way I see that is if you lose a second time, you get nada. But if you win... I'll give you the T-shirt you wanted, the mug you wanted, the special Poker in the Ears playing cards, and I'll give you a bronze power pass. That's the prize package that we're offering if you can redeem yourself in this quiz about a movie that I really hope you enjoyed watching. To, to be honest, I think I, uh, I feel like I deserve it just for watching it. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't realize the movie. I just saw Blackbird, didn't research it until you guys mentioned it um checked on imdb i don't usually um watch any movie that's like below seven i won't say what it actually got in case it's a question oh. don't want to help that joke but yeah it got a lot a, a lot lower than seven yeah so i'm taking it you didn't enjoy it it took me three sessions to <laughs> it's only 90 minutes long uh- I'll tell you what, Andre, I've already confessed this. Uh, I watched this movie on 2x speed for a lot of it, and for some of it, I watched it on 5x speed. So (laughs) it would have taken me three sessions had I not done that. So the audience has heard my thoughts, Joe's thoughts, your thoughts. Now you can hear Patrick's thoughts. Literally the worst movie I've ever seen. So this movie (laughs) is drawing blanks across the board, but... Patrick did go to the effort of compiling a 10-question quiz before taking the day off. I think the movie affected him so badly he couldn't work today. Um, Some people have PTO. He has PTSDO. Yeah, well done, Patrick, for for putting together a few questions. Yeah. I I like your chances, by the way, in this, Andre, because I have no fucking idea what went on in this movie. (laughs) I only know a few of the characters' names, so I do like your chances. Okay. Well, let's just say that uh, kind of none of the questions I think relate to plot points because I don't think I could give an objective answer. Uh, You know the drill. 10 questions. Please give me a number between 1 and 10, Andre. Uh, I will start with number five, please. Start with number five. What exact starting hand 
does Victor slow roll Blake with? So it's the third poker hand, the final poker hand. What are Victor's hold cards when he slow rolls Blake? Um, so he had... Multiple choice options are available if you need them. I remember the whip. I remember what he won with. I'm just remembering. So it was the. It was a a, a queen of spade. Uh, um, I'm going to give you one oh, mulligan. Sorry. Would you sorry. like the multiple choice yeah, options, yeah, Andre? Yeah, yeah, was his starting hand? The Ace of Hearts and the King of Spades, the Queen of Clubs and the Ten of Clubs, the Nine of Hearts and the Six of Hearts, or the King of Diamonds and the Ten of Diamonds. Queen of Clubs and... Ten yeah. of Clubs. Yes, there indeed it was. We got there. Rivered a straight flush. <laughs> Whew, one point on the board. Joe, what would you like as your first question? Uh, give me question. I'll go with my lucky number right away, please. Number nine. What song is Madeline singing during the first scene at the Blue Moon? Mackie's back in town. I need the title of the song. I'll take the choices. Fly Me to the Moon, What a Wonderful World, Mack the Knife, or When the Saints Go Marching Ma Mac In. Mack the Knife. Yes. That's your mulligan, by the way. Next time I'm taking your answer, I'm giving you a big fat zero. Uh, right. Five and nine have gone, Andre. Any other question you can take? Number six, please. Number six. It's another poker hand question, I'm afraid. <laughs> what exact starting hand does Blake have when he slow rolls Victor? So this is the second hand that we see that goes to the river. And I'll give you a clue. It beats a set of queens. But what two cards does Blake have? Multiple choice options are available. Um, I, I believe he had the... Oh, no, you had the... oh, yes. I would take the multiple choice, please. Okay, does he have the Eight of Hearts and the Three of Hearts, the Ten of Clubs and the Seven of Clubs, the Queen of Spades and the Queen of Diamonds? Spoiler alert, it's not that one. Seven of Diamonds, Four of Diamonds. Uh, can I have the, f uh, the first two again? The Eight of Hearts and the Three of Hearts, or the Ten of Clubs and the Seven of Clubs? Man, you really scrubbed your way through this movie. Oh, gosh. Um, sorry, the, the, it was seven of what? What was it? Seven and? Ten, seven of clubs or eight, three of hearts. Those are the two you've whittled it down to. Okay, I, actually, I'll go with the fourth option, please. Well, the seven of diamonds, four of diamonds. Yes. No, it was eight, three of hearts. It was a heart <laughs> flush. Okay. Okay, Joe, you're up. Uh, give me the highest number question available, please. Question 10. Which actor yeah. plays the role of Nick? I have no idea. I'll take the choices. Okay. Is it Eric Roberts, Michael Flatley, Ian Beatty, or Patrick Bergen? Ian Beatty. Correct for a point. You have a 2-1 lead as we go into the next round. 1, 2, 3, 4, 7, or 8, Andre? Uh, 7, please. Please come what does Blake say he can smell on Victor during the poker scene? Um, his shoe polish. Correct. For two points. Now you have nice. a one-point advantage. But, Joe, you're up. One, two, three, four, eight. One, please. Complete the quote. 
Oh, Jesus. The game is Texas Hold'em. Ace is a high. The blind is... 2,000. One more word, Do please. Dollars. $2,000, yes, for two <laughs> points. No mention of the small blind, but I guess that's not important. And once, once again, you're back to a one-point advantage. Two, three, four, or eight? Uh, two. What's the name of Blake's security guard? The guy who Victor punches to death. Ah, <laughs> oh, I'll take the option speed. You gotta, you gotta get used to. You gotta get used to. Remember, that's what it, Eric Roberts says that line like five different times. Maybe you gotta get used to. Is his name Quan, Nick, Philip, or James? Quan. It is Quan for a point. It's a tied game, but Joe, you are ahead effectively by one question. I would question. have said I would have said Juan there. Would you have taken that and not known that I wasn't saying Quan? If I no. said Juan, no, it's okay. Quan. Three, four, or eight? Uh, three. In what city does a man kiss a nun? London. Correct for two points. There is a bonus question. Why? I have no idea what the answer would be. Because <laughs> it looked cool in a movie. They thought it would look cool in a movie. Okay. Andre, this is not looking good. Not only do you have to get both points on your final question, you yeah. need Joe to strike out on his final question. So four or eight? Uh, four. Based on his questionable accent... What nationality is the accountant who Blake throws overboard from the yacht? This is a great question because I wondered about this. I have a guess, but I don't know. Um, I'm going to go with American. He was South African. Joe, do you know the answer to question eight? What color dress does Blake say he prefers on Vivian? I don't know the answer to that question. Blue, white, yellow, or red? Yellow. Would have got you a point. So even if you got the okay. two points there, Andre, I'm afraid it still would have been an L. But I'll yeah. tell you what. You're not wrong. You deserve something for sitting <laughs> through this movie. So we'll stick to our original deal. We'll resend the T-shirt and the mug, but I can't give you the cards in the pass because, unfortunately, you've gone 0 for 2 in Superfan vs. States. <laughs> I can't believe it. Has, I, I was listening to... I have went back a long way. How, how, how many people has, have actually lost to Joe? I feel like... Less than five? No, no, no. Over the years, I'd say we're into double digits now. It's definitely really? a minority. Okay. I, I guess I'd say it's between 15 and 25. Okay. Not too bad. It's a select group. I'm putting a positive spin on it. It's an it's it's an elite number of people. I yeah. think that whenever we have a super fan subject that nobody wants to do, you, we're just going to keep calling up Andre. <laughs> <laughs> you know, fast forward to episode 386. Andre, you're now 0 and 5. <laughs> 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 
we very much appreciate the fact that, A, you've been patient holding on for your merch, and we will get that reset. Sorry about that. And secondly, appreciate you volunteering to do this all again, especially as it involved watching such an atrocious movie. Hopefully you can say, take some delight when this show is eventually published in a few weeks' time, listening to us tear it apart. Yeah, no, definitely. I think the the best part was credits, um, knowing it, it came to an end. But uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you very much, guys, for having me again. A thank pleasure. you for coming on, Andre. Appreciate it. Cheers. Take care, all. Right. All right, my babies. We're just about out of time for this week's show for the summer because coming up next time it is gonna be a while yeah so we will do a full summer recap and of course we'll tell you what went down when joe and i went to vegas to the world series of poker that episode will precede our ept barcelona preview show so according to my calendar the next podcast will be recorded on august 16th and released on thursday august 17th and wow so it's like six weeks yeah uh, six weeks from recording, but right. not six weeks from people hearing this, Joe, because remember, right. we're dropping the summer special in the middle of the summer months. But lots to look forward to our post-Vegas, post-WSOP report. And remember Ross Lambert. Yes. He will finally get his shot at Superfan, Superstardom, and we will get to use Patrick's quiz about the movie Rush. All right, so I, my, my rush time will not uh, have gone to waste. Fine, great, wonderful. So in the meantime, stay in touch with us. Stay on top of our Twitter. is probably the best way to stay in touch with me and James to follow a live real-time updates of what is going on at the World Series of Poker. We will be checking in on the Discord from time to time. That's where we like to keep the conversations about this show and all the stuff coming up next season. Exactly, uh, especially because... When we get into that new season through the late summer into the autumn months, we are going to need super fans. I think a couple of people have expressed interest in recent weeks, but keep those applications coming in because at some point in the summer, I'm going to do a blitz and get people booked in for future shows. There is a dedicated super fan applications channel. There is a dedicated channel to just talking about the show in general. And that's where we like to reply to you guys, interact with you guys. Link to the Pokestars Discord server in the podcast description. All right, my babies, there you have it. That's going to do it for our summer special. You'll hear from us again in August and uh, just a couple of weeks from the release of this. Hang in there. But for now, for James Hardigan, I am Joe Stapleton. Smell you later. Smell you later.